Many times we hear of serious crimes taking place in areas which are never close to home, and we always think to ourselves it would never happen where we live. And yet crimes, and especially murders, may well have happened closer than you realise. Sometimes you just got to do a little digging. Now Aslanin is a small town that resides within the districts of Rosendale. Surrounded by Moorland, it is situated roughly 16 miles north of Manchester, with neighbouring towns and villages such as Rottenstall, Helmshore, Rising Ridge, Acre and Huddy all within close proximity. And by the late 1800s, the population was roughly around 19,000, with many residents working within factories and mills that had prospered during the Industrial Revolution due to the mechanisation of the wool, cotton and spinning industries. And it is in this setting that we travel back to the 20th of August 1880 as the home of Mary and Dennis Malloy that was situated on Wilkinson Street, or better known then as the new clubhouses just off Marsden Square at the top of town. And as you could probably gather, the surname Malloy is of Irish origin, and it was in this part of town that a large gathering of Irish families had settled. It was close to around 2 o'clock when James, aged 20, and the third eldest of nine children arrived back at home, eagerly looking forward to having his lunch after spending much of the day transporting goods around town as a carter. Being of a somewhat poor neighbourhood, the house was in a terrible state, and witness accounts that spoke of Mary and Dennis seemed to indicate they spent most of the time in a drunken stupor, with Dennis perhaps being the more guilty of the two when it came to a swore for drink. Not having much in the way of food, Mary went out to the local shop nearby to purchase some ham, eggs and coffee, and when she arrived back home some short time later, James was sat down at the kitchen table and he tucked into the food she had brought back. Meanwhile, his father, Dennis, who had been sleeping upstairs, was awoken by the sound of his wife and James talking downstairs. Making his way down into the kitchen, he ordered his son to leave the house, saying, he should have no dinner here. Winifred Malloy, nine years of age, who was in the house at the time, had also made her way into the kitchen by the time her mother came back, and she heard her father shouting at James, and she remembered him yelling, fetch some money for his meat. But her brother sat still, he ignored his father's demands and began to tuck into some of the ham his mother had brought back from the shops. Now this infuriated Dennis, and he took hold of a butcher's knife and began to sharpen it. It was the knife he had used to cut old bags from to make mops, with a blade with around being 14 inches in length. Noticing the rage in her husband, Mary warned her son to leave the house saying, go out or he'll stick you. Now James made his way up from the table and was about to make his way to the door, but in doing so, Dennis had blocked the way. Falling backwards onto a cupboard that was behind him, James felt a sharp piercing sensation that flooded his upper body, and as Dennis stepped back, Mary noticed a bloodstained knife in his hand. Screaming, she quickly pushed James out towards the door and onto the pavement outside, shouting, Go out, Jemmy, he's done it. Hearing a commotion, neighbours Mary Ann Chadwick and John Smith quickly rushed to see what was going on. Mary Ann Chadwick recalled hearing Mary Illinois scream, Oh, he stabbed my Jemmy. Upon looking, Mary Chadwick shouted back towards Dennis, 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 you've killed your Jemmy. You've stabbed him, he's dying now. Looking at her from the door, Dennis casually replied, Well, what did he come into the house annoying me for? John Smith had at this time been trying to aid poor James, holding onto his arm to try and steady him. A doctor's surgery was nearby, but James stumbled and slipped onto the pavement. John Smith grabbed him and did his best to keep him warm. He wrapped his arms around his body whilst trying with one hand to stem the flow of blood coming from the knife wound. Mary Malloy was also trying to get help, running to the police station which was only a short walkway just off Argree Street. When she got there, Sergeant Taylor was first to respond, as he stated in court of Mary screaming, Sergeant, come out, Dennis has stabbed our Jemmy. Making their way to the station and back over to Wilkinson Street, Sergeant Taylor saw James lying in the arms of James Smith. It was obvious there and then that this was a serious incident. It seems by all accounts Dennis wasn't disturbed by what he had done. 
and when Sergeant Taylor entered the house, Dennis was watching the commotion going on outside from his window. Unfortunately, and even though a doctor had been called for, by the time Alexander Macpherson, surgeon of Hasenden, had arrived, James had sadly passed away. It had taken just under 12 minutes for his death, and in that short period of time, James never uttered a single word. On the 23rd of August, 1880, the inquest into the death of James Molloy would take place within the Market Hotel, Marston Square, Haslingdon, before Mr H.J. Robinson, coroner. Mary Meller, Marianne Chadwick, as well as Jane Smith would all give evidence as already mentioned earlier, as would Police Sergeant Taylor, who would go on to say that after arresting Dennis, the accused told him he, James, did it himself by running against the knife. He also told the jury that when he went back to the house, after placing Dennis under arrest, he found the bloodstained knife on the window ledge, which was produced as evidence. Dr Macpherson would also describe in detail how he found the victim, as well as the wounds inflicted upon him. There was a wound on the left breast, about an inch in length. The wound had penetrated the lower portion of the left lung and gone into the heart. It was from four and a half to five inch in depth, and undoubtedly caused his death. He also went on record to say that considerable violence must have been used in giving the wound, as it was not likely to have been made by the deceased pushing against the knife. Once all of the witnesses had taken to the stand, and having summed up the evidence, the coroner said the jury would have no difficulty in coming to the conclusion that James died from the effects of the wound. What they had to decide was to show how the wound was inflicted. Did Dennis purposely attack his son, which resulted in the stabbing, or was Dennis telling the truth, and was it James that perhaps fell onto the knife when darting from the kitchen table? The coroner would remind the jury that if what Mrs Molloy said was true, in that she told her son to get out or he'll stick you, then the proper verdict would be one of willful murder as it would show premeditation. But if they believed that Dennis had sharpened the knife ready to be used for the process of his work, which was making mops, and in sudden passion he had used it on his son, then the offence might be reduced to manslaughter. The jury retired to make their decision and returned about 50 minutes later. When asked, the verdict of willful murder against the prisoner was announced. Dennis was taken into custody and remanded in jail in Preston to await official charges that would be made to him four days later. Dennis Malloy appeared at Haslinden Public Hall on Friday the 27th of August to face charges of willful murder. A large number of people had been awaiting his arrival by train from Preston that they thought would be arriving by 10am that morning, but instead he had been put onto another train that would arrive sometime later around 11.15am. Most of the people waiting were factory and mill workers, and they lined the streets as Dennis Malloy was transferred by two police officers from the train station and towards the police station. At around 12 o'clock that afternoon, Dennis was brought into the public hall, which had already filled with people eager to follow the case. Taken to his seat, Dennis, and with no one to appear for him, listened intensely to the evidence before Mr R Townsend by Superintendent Henderson. After all witness evidence had been made, Mr Townsend asked Dennis if he had anything to say, to which he replied, I wish you to be so good as to let my wife come up. I want her to speak, Your Worship. She knows as much about this as anybody. Mr Townsend turned down his plea, replying, your wife cannot say anything either for you or against you. Now not happy with this, Dennis continued. She knows how it was done. It was done by him running against it. I wish you'd be so good to let her speak, because she knows that he came and rushed me. Again, Mr Townsend reiterated his answer. Your wife cannot say anything for you here or elsewhere. She cannot either speak in your favour or against you. Realising he wasn't going to get anywhere with his wish, Dennis replied, I have nothing to say about it, only it was done by him running at me. He wasn't going to beat me. As for the girl, she knows very well that he was running at me at the time the knife was handled. he done it himself. I am innocent as anybody here that it was done willfully, although it was done. 
I have no more to say, only it was not done willfully. Ending the discussion, Mr Townsend formally sentenced Dennis Malloy to trial at the next Manchester Assizes. After Dennis had signed a statement to the events that took place, he was removed to the cells where he would sit and wait until later that afternoon, from where he would be taken to the jail at Manchester, Strangeways. On the 3rd of November 1880 and before Sir John Miller, Dennis Malloy, aged 50, was indicted at the Manchester Assizes for killing his son James. However, it seems that the grand jury were not completely satisfied that the killing was premeditated, throwing out the bill and charging him on a lesser crime. Prior to the proceedings, Dennis stated that he was too poor to employ counsel, so Sir John Mellor would request that a man by the name of Mr Ford to take up his defence. In opening the case, prosecutor Mr Cooper would go into detail not only the crime itself, but also to give a brief character summary of James Malloy. He would state, due to being paralysed on the left side of his body, James was unable to do much work, having taken on the role of a carter on a part-time basis. Mr Cooper would argue that Dennis implied that James was idle and dissolute young man, and his conduct greatly irritated him to the extent that they quarrelled on many occasions over this. Police Surgeon Alexander McPherson gave full details as to the wound sustained on James's body, and how it would undoubtedly have caused his death, but it was Mr Ford defending Dennis who would urge the jury to consider the fact that it was James that had impaled himself onto the knife by running at his father, and there was no intention of Dennis wanting to do him any harm. Now this final statement by Mr Ford would work, as, with all the evidence put before them, the jury, although returning a verdict of guilty, it would see Dennis Malloy sentenced for only six months' imprisonment. James Malloy's body would be interred into St James's Cemetery on the 24th of August 1880. So thank you very much for listening to this short story today. I hope you enjoyed it and if you want more please show some support and comment down below. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram which links are also down below. But in the meantime take care and I will be back soon with another tale from the past.